Welcome to the Solarize podcast from creator, founder, and author Spencer Burke, where we have candid conversations with spiritual innovators, visionaries, change makers, creatives from the edge. These are the people that serve as our scouts and outlooks. The voice is calling for a more humane future, one we desire and are working toward. Both the beauty of New Horizons and the difficulties of taking risks will pepper all of our interviews. Welcome everyone to the Solarize podcast. Today we have a special guest, Raj Patel. And I, I, Spencer, I'm excited about this conversation. There's something about taking care of the earth and there's something about the right way to farm that gets me so excited. Spencer, yeah. why don't you tell me a little bit how you got to know Raj? Well, so we were connected through a friend, Mike. And so the idea to be able to do Solarize without talking about the environment would be so sad. So we are talking about arts, we're talking about the economy, we're talking about policies, we're talking about the whole idea of startups and people thinking about doing different things in different ways. And so we were so honored that you could come and be with us and we'll look at the film this evening. I felt of this film as almost more meditative in thought, but it brings up such powerful ways in which we could consider. And of course, your writings, both books and articles, have just been so stimulating for us to think and i just i can't imagine a way of thinking about humane spirituality without inviting you and being a part of this so thank all you. right Raj, why don't you just share give us a little bit of background who you are where you come from i want to let everybody know just give you a heads up this guy's got a great podcasting voice you're just going to enjoy this simply because of the accent, because of the smooth tone of it, you're going to be so excited. So, Raj, just share a little Hello. background. Hello, my name's Raj. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, after a, a, an introduction like that, I, yeah, I have to break out the Monty Python. I'm Raj Patel. I grew up in London, uh, as you might be able to hear. And now I, I live in Texas, as you all might be able to, y'all might be able to hear as well. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I do a lot of work around hunger and how to end it. And I've written books and I've uh, done you know, a lot of sort of street activities activism, but also worked at the UN and the World Bank and protested against them and worked for nonprofits around hunger. Uh, and so the reason the film that brings me here today exists is because I was a talking head in other people's films. Uh, and those films had a kind of cadence to them where it begins with people suffering at the beginning, and it's usually working class people and people of color, and there's, there's bad things happening. And then there would be a moment where I would come along and I'd be like, yes, th things are very bad. The poor have it tough. And then you know, the, the film would gently sort of twist, and so all of a sudden we'd be at farmers markets, and and then you hear this jangly guitar music, and you, you'd be told, "Look, don't worry about this. As long as all of us buy organic food at our local farmers market, everything's going to be fine." The end. Now I happen to buy a lot of kale, and most of it at farmers markets, and I I'm, I, I don't think this is a bad idea, but I do think that if if one is serious about changing the world in the ways that we need, then the places to look are the frontline communities who are suffering the impacts of climate change, of soil degradation, of you know, the folks who are farmers, essentially. And I've been lucky enough to, to work with farmers around the world. And one of the, the big stories that it seemed to me it was untold was of how farmers are not only feeding themselves in Africa. You know, we have these visions of Africa as a place of primordial hunger, whereas, in fact, there's some really exciting innovation happening there in terms of how it is one might feed oneself and one's community. Uh, and so learning from them and having them be the teachers rather than you know us going in with our savior complexes seem to be a wise inversion. And so that's what we've got here with the film, The Ants and the Grasshopper. Thank okay. you. And how did you get interested in addressing this problem in our world? 
Oh, good Lord. No, I mean, I was I was five years old in India, in the land of my ancestors. And I remember, you know, we were sitting in, in one of these old sort of tin cars uh, that they had there. And, and the, it was a monsoon. The rain was hammering down on, on, the, on the roof. And it was just sort of pattering away. And we stopped at a stoplight. And there was a girl who was like 12 years old. And she was tilting backwards and forwards. And you could hear her despite the rain. And she was just saying in Hindi, Look, we're hungry. We've got no money. Please, can we have some money? Please, can we have some money? And, you know, this infant in her arms was crying and crying and I just lost I lost my mind I, I, I was beside myself with grief and I couldn't understand why you know there was this hunger and my parents on you know unwound the window a little bit and popped some money out into the rain and then you know we drove off but then when we got back to England I started renting out my toys in kindergarten for for hunger relief and I've been doing that kind of work ever since that's amazing, Spencer. I find so many people that are activists or that are engaged in world issues like Raj is and like you are, Spencer. So many of us start that with some influence at a very early age. Is that true of you as well? Yeah. Not only in my own story, but I think as I look at a number of people, some of the most powerful and positive things that happen start with a personal passion, start with a place where we break. And I think it's the things that you you allow yourself to laugh at and the mm -hmm. things that you allow yourself to cry. When I see someone not treated with human dignity, mm. you know what I mean? And uh, I was a kid of uh, the 60s, and to watch you know, literally in real time on black and white televisions when we only had three channels, you know, the things that were happening to people, you know, uh, that were simply trying to march for peace or mm -hmm. to watch the violence in war, uh, you know, like those things it really had a huge impact. Even with your film, to watch her just share her heart and her idea and her identity and to come here and share that with others and for her to be treated with a sense of dignity, mm -hmm. you know, you just you smile and you have this sense and so i think it is yeah it's true yeah. it's what what you allow to touch your heart and you can i think pinpoint that back and many times it is mm. early on in a formative year the documentary is the ants in the grasshopper tell us a little bit about it and tell us where the inspiration for it came from really it's the journey of one farmer her name is anita chitaya and she is a woman of faith in malawi in rural malawi way up north and she faces a number of challenges there in particular you know she, she's up against hunger and climate change and also gender inequality and what's important in this story is that these very big challenges are ones that she has to solve in order for her and her community to thrive. Uh, so there's no option here and so she has to become an innovator but she is a spiritual innovator and I think that that's what makes this film such a fit for Solarize because she is someone who uses the Bible to, to argue for things like gender equality in her own community and not only does, does she present the argument, she's an entrepreneur she makes it happen she doesn't just say you know look at genesis god made women as your helpers shouldn't you treat your helpers with some modicum of dignity she goes out and she makes sure that people do that uh, and she calls men on our patriarchy and it's not a terribly comfortable experience but it, it's a vital one it's it's one where all of a sudden you realize that these seemingly big and timeless and intractable problems like, you know, oh yes, well, uh, there's always going to be hunger in Africa, there's always going to be patriarchy everywhere, and you realize, no, it doesn't have to be that way, we, we invented it, we can change it. And the journey of the film then is one of her realizing, wait, 
climate change we can't do this with. We can take an, we can take on patriarchy. We can transform the way we grow things so that we build the soil. But we can't end climate change by ourselves. We need to talk to our friends in America. And she was shocked that we in America would carry on the way that we do, knowing that what we're doing is defiling the world, and particularly her world. She has a theory of change, which is, if you go to someone's doorstep with your problem, they can't ignore you. There are plenty of examples of people going to each other's doorsteps in the film, they talk it out, and all of a sudden things get better. Uh, and so she wanted to apply that theory here, and we tried to uh, help her meet members of the government, uh, private sector, philanthropy. Uh, in the end, not many of them wanted to talk. But she did meet with some farmers and with some community activists across the US. And those conversations are the basis of her attempts to transform us here uh, into the kinds of better people that she's su successfully produced in Malawi. How did you meet this woman? Uh, I was lucky enough to go to graduate school with one of the founders of the organization that she works for. And I went out there with a very famous filmmaker named Steve James. He did a film called Hoop Dreams, among others, a uh, sort of documentary legend. And Steve was casting with his camera, and I was, you know, just sort of introducing the project in front of a big hall of people. And at the back, there were three women who were back chatting essentially they were sassing everybody else and steve's camera was drawn to them and he, he, he said look one of these three women is going to be the woman who who carries this film and he was absolutely right one of them was anita the solarize podcast is brought to you today by our partners at the igniting imagination podcast igniting imagination is a podcast to spark the spirit within you from wesleyan investive and texas methodist foundation they believe every moment for change starts with conversation. They hope the conversations in these episodes might invite you into new perspectives and possibilities, inspire you with an idea, give you insight about your next faithful step, and further equip you to engage in the conversations in your context that can lead to deep change. This season, they are sharing conversations about the five adaptive muscles the church must strengthen to be fit agile and ready for gods now for more information visit their website at www.wesleyaninvestive.org forward slash igniting dash imagination dash podcast my biggest frustration with this idea of climate change in our world is the way that people seemingly are just ignoring it or explaining it away as not being true. And to me, it seems pretty obvious that the reason they're doing that is because there's financial undertones or even power undertones to that belief system. So when we're talking about climate change and you're producing a documentary that's addressing it in so many ways, I mean, you even mentioned that a lot of those big corporations wouldn't open the door. And so, you know, what are your feelings about that, specifically in America? I can't speak to the rest of the world. Maybe you can, Raj, of how we start chipping away at this, what I would say is chosen ignorance around the subject. Well, maybe I can, I can turn this question back to y'all, which is, I mean, a lot of the conversations we had around climate change in the U.S. were theological, because ultimately, in, in farm countries, as, as you know, Matt, people are aware that the weather is changing, but they won't buy into what they perceive to be a politically loaded term of climate change. Uh, and instead, what we heard a lot of was, look, this is God's plan. This is God's plan for us. 
And y'all have been in these conversations much more than I have. And I, I wonder if, if maybe you can talk to me about that, because while you know we, we all live within the contours of powerful corporations, it's a different kind of narrative where, you know, Anita wasn't saying, look, Chevron is out to kill us. She was having theological discussions around this. And, and that's where a lot of the, the friction in the film comes from, is different visions of what God's plan for us is. And I'm wondering if you can help me understand a little more about where that comes from. Yeah, well, from my perspective, there's been a conversation kind of stirring the last couple of weeks, actually. And it's, do people choose their economic outlook based on their theology? Or do people choose their theology on their economic outlook? And 20 years ago, when Solarize started, we felt like, write their theology and their actions will come. And what we're finding, uh, you know, in the recent history here, that people uh, in religious settings have been able to overlook a lot of inhumane things, not because of their theology. They've shifted their theology because of their need for economics or power. And so that's the first question I would ask is, where are we really coming from? How sincere is our faith here? And what is it driven by? So I loved it when I watched her in the village. And just, I mean, it was beautiful. She was going right to her sacred writings and saying, how about this? And then involved in conversation. I think another thing that's really just kind of screwy, and I'm a fundamentalist. I grew up in that world. I'm no longer there. But, but I understand this kind of craziness. And that is, oh, well, God gave us the world and we are supposed to subdue it. You know, oh, you know, Jesus is coming back. And again, I'm thinking from a Christian perspective here in the United States states. Jesus is coming back. And so who cares? Bring on the apocalypse. We, we don't need this world for our great, 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 great grandkids, you know. And so there's this time warp thing that is really just weird. But again, is it because that's their theology of a second coming of Jesus or something? Or is that really excuse them, allow them to be able to have a consumption of this world that is unsustainable. So that's a deep question I would kind of ask uh, is, how are we doing that? And again, for me, I just keep coming back to this idea that if someone can knock on your door and you can be involved in conversation, then sometimes the politics, the economics, the faith, the, the scripture, whatever, it melts away. And you're able to go like, well, tell me about your experience. It's like, the ground is dry. Like to watch those farmers engage with her and for them to go, well, I think Jesus, you know, whatever. Again, not to caricature, because I don't think you did that at all. But I think there was that sense of like, wow, when they engage it on a personal level, now it's not an argument about facts or science or whatever. It really is another human being. And again, from a faith perspective, those were two people of the same faith coming together with the same sacred writings under the same name for God. <laughs> and they had to confront each other on a personal level. And so in some ways, the government thing might not have been as uh, powerful, but the people engaging on a personal level. Those are just observations from the film and from conversations that I've been having the last few weeks. If I get quoted back to me, the poor will always be among us from the Bible one more time, I'm going to lose my mind. <laughs> but I think, yeah, to back up what you said, Spencer, I think we can use the Bible however we want it. We can use any sacred writing any way that we want to use it. And so this is a bigger heart issue than it is an understanding issue. Now, Raj, you had mentioned 
you know, you have to do more than just go to the local farmer's market to get your kale. In America, with this busy, fast-paced culture, people are looking for quick ways they can help or quick ways where problems can be solved and it has to work within the context of their life, which I think is maybe the bigger problem as it is. But if it's got to be more than just going to the local farmer's market, what are things that we can be doing to address this issue? We were talking a little bit earlier on, Matt, about the power of the school district. And again, for, for people who, of faith and people who are interested in change, when the federal government and the local, you know, the state government seems sort of bought and paid for by, by some fairly powerful interests, it can be that the school district is not merely a, a sort of site of struggle, but also a, an engine for really progressive change. There are school districts around the world that pay organic farmers uh, a premium in order to have that food fed to the children in the school district. Uh, and it, that ends up being a win-win, not only for farmers uh, who get to make a living without sacrificing the soil, uh, but also deliver on you know, the stories that they tell themselves, that they are doing God's work, they're feeding, they're feeding the world. And at the same time, parents get to be assured that their children are being given food that is free of pesticides, free of the contaminants that we ourselves have been polluted by and we will pay a, a, a cost for, uh, not just in terms of our own health, but in the health of the planet as well. So there are things that we can do, but universally, they are things that we can't do alone. That's the story of the ants and the grasshopper. One ant can't lift a grasshopper. That's just not the way it works. You, you need many of them. And, and this is the image of the ants and the grasshopper. It's not Aesop's fable, uh, because in Malawi, the ants and the grasshopper doesn't refer to that. It refers to what you see happening all the time, where there is a, a very large object that one person or one, you know, one being can't lift, lift by itself, but together transformation can happen when there are lots of us. And that metaphor is very apt for our, our situation at the moment. I think part of the the problem, uh, particularly for us in America, as identified by Anita, is that we are so individualistic that we feel that uh, yeah, unless we can do it with a tweet or you know uh, a signing of a petition or some sort of clicktivism or some sort of shopping, uh, that it cannot be done. Uh, and it is therefore, you know, we're too busy to be doing that. But this is the future of the planet. I think we can slow down a little to make sure that we have a planet for our children. And that's what Anita's asking us to do. Yeah, so good. Spencer, I want to flip around Raj's question or maybe readdress it to you. You had mentioned when we're talking about theology and talking about the Bible, you had mentioned things maybe that have been toxic about the way that people have viewed the Bible. So you as a person who deeply cares about our planet, and I've listened to you talk, I've heard you talk with other friends of yours, this is just a normal conversation for you. So how do you as a person who values theology, who has devoted life to ministry and God, how do you view your spirituality, the Bible, in relation to taking care of the earth and in relation to climate change yeah well i mean how is it inseparable how in the world can we see one without the other if you think about it creation care is the most fundamental process that adam and eve were given at the very beginning and we perverted it you know we we have taken it to our own means and understanding and desire so i think that if we're able to see that when the very ground underneath you starts to tell you, testify, whatever language you want to say is that something is deeply, deeply wrong. And if we start to treat it as 
something that we're supposed to subdue, you know, I mean, this, this language that people have used in a certain way, then you think of yourself as the Lord over it rather than a partner with it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's one of the hard parts. I think that even the idea within white male evangelical Christianity, the idea that it's Mother Earth, Mm -hmm. think of the way in which mothers are treated. I mean, think of her, just the way in which she's understood where a male could sit there and go like, what would my friends think if I uh, did the chores? You see what I'm saying? Mm. There's a religious context here that even like, what would my friends think about if I loved Mother Earth? And so there is something really weird mm. that I think at least in a male psyche of a particular teeny tiny sliver. The problem is that that sliver somehow has captured the imagination of the political world in the United States at this point. We don't have that much time. And so for me, for someone who loves the Bible, loves God, loves you know the earth, I don't know, again, I'm not sure we're going to be able to argue this, but if we can ask how humane is it to suck the life out of Mother Earth? That's gluttony to me, if that's a spiritual word. I mean, like, I suck it out, I use it now, no one else is going to have it. What are we going to leave our kids? What are they going to say about me? What did I leave them? What did I give them? And so I think there are so many biblical parallels that you can go through over and over and over again to encourage people. It's humane for the earth. It's humane for my great-great-grandchildren. It's humane for the way in which I think of you in another country, Anita. (laughs) That's humane spirituality is the way I would go at it. Now, Raj, when you were creating this, did you have any sort of specific outcome that you're hopeful for, for people like Spencer and I, or just any viewer of the documentary? I, I mean, I was looking forward to conversations like this. First of all, Spencer, you just gave me goosebumps thinking about care and how that was God's first duty to Adam and Eve. That's that's all they had to do was care. And there is a shame still for men to be seen as caring. We're, we're, it, it's more masculine to be careless than to be caring. And I think that's a that's a really profound observation um, and a very moving one because you know we have to choose between one one or the other. I, I mean, I choose caring, but that 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 comes with a cost, as you see. For for some men in the film, their more masculine friends shun them, uh, and th- there will be that cost. There will be the the grief and the death of that kind of patriarchy and masculinity. And I, I just wanted to thank you uh, for bringing that forward and and to, for, for observing that. And I mean, Matt, what what I was hoping was that we might have more conversations like this because I have not moved in friendships like like ours and I I would very much like to and it seems to me that there are so many lessons that are ready to be circulated from frontline communities in the US or in Malawi and I'm very interested in having those conversations because I will take great ideas to save our planet wherever I find them and make friends with whoever it is it has those ideas because that's what you do when you care for one another. My, I mean, that's been my life, right? I mean, I grew up in in a convenience store in London, and you know, at, at the really the worst end of the food system. Um, you know, sort of surrounded by bad literature and candy and and cigarettes. To to move from that kind of world to one where I get to have conversations with peasants and indigenous people around the world as part of my research, but then also as a, a fellow traveler uh, on this planet is a real privilege. And 
what I was hoping in this film was that it would be a way of, of using some of these ideas and, and spreading them. But what I didn't anticipate is that Anita speaks the language of prophets. And I don't speak that language, but you can hear it. And I'm excited for that so that I can learn it and I can pass it on to people I, I meet with. Thank you so much, Raj, for being here. How can people view this film, this documentary? We have a, a website, obviously. If you go to antsandgrasshopper.org, um, there's a special section for people of faith um, to, to hold, hold screenings in wherever you might worship. Wonderful. Well, the documentary is The Ants and the Grasshopper. Thank you, Raj Patel, for being on the show on this episode. Thank you, as always, Spencer Burke, for being here. And we'll see you all next time. Make sure you support the Solarize podcast by subscribing to it, giving it a five-star rating, and write a review.